Oh, hello. Yoo-hoo. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant based cookbooks and the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder. I'm here with the man that makes everyone feel better about themselves whenever they are in his presence. One of his many wonderful qualities, my husband and producer of the podcast, Mr. Rossetti. How you doing, Rosie? I'm good. I'm Rosie. Rosie, no that, that Rosie. intro, thank you, doll. It's How are you true. doing? I always make a little crack at you, but I thought I I'd uh, give a little something genuine, and that's that is nice. true. You always make everyone feel very good. Oh, thank you. You I do. That's it's I have a, a director in me. I think I. It's I a lovely quality. Yes, my love. I we love you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We got a big, big announcement for people. <gasps> we do. It's not a good one. You know, if you're a fan of the podcast, which you're listening, so I'm assuming you are, you're not going to be pleased. But we have to tell you, we are taking a hiatus. <gasps> what? Who said what? Oh, 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 scandal. Scandal. Uh, so, you know, this podcast started as a little pandemic baby. Uh, I'm sure I talked about it early on, but we were initially going to do a vegan roadie podcast vegan roadie podcast before the pandemic started and we had all the podcast equipment and then the pandemic came and we thought it's kind of insensitive to contact restaurants and interview chefs and business owners when everyone closed their doors that kind of thing or was just you know trying to get but like whatever the situation was everybody had different situations suddenly but then we were thought we have this equipment and we've got the time what do we do and we have all these cookbooks and we do yes all of these all of these cookbooks enter keep on cooking pod so it's been awesome we love it. I love chatting with all the authors. Um, it's and you're so really cool. good at it. Thanks, Bye, May. Thanks. Toot your horn. Thanks, Bab. Thanks, Bab. Um, but, y'all, the, pandec- the, the <laughs> pandemic, <laughs> uh, the pandemic, I wouldn't say it's lifting, but certainly, you know, we're starting. Things David are and shifting. I are able to start to get on our hustle again a little in here in Atlanta, which was on pause after we moved because of everything. So point of this is we've got so many things on our plate and so many exciting things we're starting to like get to and line up in our lives. And so we just have to take a little pause here, but we do love the podcast. We are going to come back to it eventually uh, because I think, I think it serves a purpose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we'd love to hear from you in the in the kind of in interim. interim. And yeah, if there's what a, episodes that you like and mm-hmm. and if there's you know, a cookbook to share author it. that you yeah. love, by all means, reach out and, for sure. Um, you know, I don't. I have no idea how long we'll be gone, but the point is, we love doing it. We love getting the behind the scenes on all these books. As you've listened, I've cooked from probably eighty percent of the books that we actually cover. Um, and that's I mean, probably me. 90. Honey. I mean, maybe I definitely cook from them all. I learned so much from these people. So I hope you're learning as much as I have learned. It's so cool to chat with the authors, but I digress. Hiatus. It's happening. All right. Uh, food this week. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. We, we got a, we, we got, got a, a delivery. We got a special delivery. Mm-hmm. Ding dong. A little package at the door from conscious cultures in Philadelphia. Uh. Oh, if you're not following, I think it's the, uh, what is that? Underscore the flat line? Yes, underscore the underscore conscious underscore cultures. But look up the conscious cultures on Instagram, and 
It's the best. He's a genius. He's a genius. His name is Stephen. I think it's Babaki. B-A-B-A-K-A. But I'm sorry if I have that wrong. But uh, Conscious Cultures, uh, the cheese is just outstanding. It's a brie cheese. The main one that he has is like a brie cheese, and it's it's aged and delicious, and it's the close. It it is brie cheese. It is brie cheese. I mean, it is phenomenal. And then he's got some other. He sent us a couple little, uh, like, cheese logs with, like, a nut coating on the outside that I can't wait to dive into. So very, very exciting. We also had sausage from Renegade. Always, always delicious, that mm-hmm. renegade. Chorizo and mm-hmm. Soprasera. Soprasera. And then I think a smoky one, too. They were so, so good. Paired those with Miyoko's was cheddar. Was, was Soprasera the sweet one? Mm-hmm. There was like so. a sweet one, too. Yeah, it's and then a like a, a smoky one and black pepper. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that, that was good good eats. Ooh, and then yeah. my uh, at work, uh, everyone, my culinary team had a vegan oh, potluck. potluck. Mm-hmm. And ooh, they made some vegan tamales, honey, off the hook. That was so good. Nice. Brought, that them, was brought really some home delicious. for David. So good. And they made a, a vegan sweet potato pie. So tasty. So really, we are our bellies are full and our cup runneth. And I kind of feel like tamales are like better the next day or like they get better. Yeah. You so know, like good. The flavor kind of like really gets in there. I love that. So, so good. Speaking of so, so, so good. David, a little book flip. A little book flip. We are looking at The Simply Delicious Cookbook by Caitlin Shoemaker. 100 plant-based recipes from the creator of From My Bowl, oil-free, gluten-free, and refined sugar-free recipes. Give us a little sample. What's in there? Ooh. Oh, well, this was kind of earmarked, so it was a little it bit of a cheat. But... Is that a dog ear or an earmark? Dog ear, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but I wonder. You probably call them the the same same thing. But um, homemade Snickers, everybody. I haven't made them yet, but I want to. That's kind of a great idea. Look at them too. They look delicious. Homemade, homemade Snicker bars, and it's all like whole ingredients. So delicious. Um, And then we opened up to a buffalo cauliflower penne. Come on now, which looks really rich and delicious. Ooh, what are those? No bake cosmic brownies. Look at them. Amazing. She's also the photographer, as we learned in this interview. Oh, so like she's done all those photos too she's really really talented Ooh, now not for me but for others <laughs> chunky portobello stew with chickpea dumplings oh my gosh and that it, looks, it looks really outstanding nice. so I good I, could, I, I might be good with that could you get on board could, could you get, get on board, board? the flavor is probably delicious well caitlin shoemaker is the photographer videographer and recipe developer behind from my bowl uh, blog and YouTube channel. She makes wholesome, easy to follow, and budget friendly vegan recipes that are mostly gluten, oil, and refined sugar free. And you don't have to be 100% vegan to enjoy the recipes on Caitlin's blog and YouTube channel of the same name from my bowl. All are welcome on her platforms and her recipes span the masses feeding veg heads and carnivores alike. That's right. She's a very accessible and welcoming presence in the online vegan food community. And her book, The Simply Delicious Cookbook, 100 Plant-Based Recipes by the creator of From My Bowl is a perfect extension of her brand, From My Bowl. Without further delay, here she is, Caitlin Shoemaker. She makes the dull delicious and the crap credible. The creator of From My Bowl, Caitlin Shoemaker, is here. Welcome to the podcast, darling. Thank you. That was like the best intro ever. I feel so special it, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I say it because it's true. Plus, I, I think I saw that on an ep- episode of maybe Absolutely Fabulous or something. Like Patsy and Adina, someone was like, she makes the dull delicious and the crap credible. And I've been waiting <laughs> for the perfect time to use it. So this, this seemed fitting. 
Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I feel really honored. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here. We'll start with your icebreaker question. Uh, What's a feel-good movie or TV show you turn to when you need a little pick-me-up? So I feel pretty basic in saying this, but honestly, it's The Office. (laughs) Listen. But... That's do you know I'm just getting on the office train right now. Oh man, and they it's not on Netflix anymore. They just moved it to like their own platform on NBC, I think. It's on so it's on the Peacock the Peacock I don't know yeah. if that's an app, a platform or what it is, but here's the deal. We bought a new TV and it doesn't get anything that our old TV used to get in terms of being able to download apps, but it does have Peacock, but only if we like turn it off and connect it in this weird certain way with a whole separate remote. But what I did discover was on Peacock was the office. So I'm like, well, hey, I have that at least. Well, lucky you. And hey, whatever works, man. It's just great. It's a great show. It's like you see, it's one of those comfort shows where I've seen it so many times so I can play it and I know it's going to happen. But at the same time, it's also so hilarious that even if I've seen it three or five times, I'll still laugh. Apps 100%. And I'm actually kind of glad that I caught on a little late because I'm like, oh, I've watched all my other ones so much that I'm like really happy to be enjoying this for the first time right now because I can tell it's going to be one that I'll go back to. And I've already watched because my husband was behind on it. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll rewatch an episode. That's fine. It's one of those ones. So I, I well, it may be a basic answer. I applaud the answer because okay. my answers are also basic. So mine <laughs> are Parks and Rec, which is like literally along the same lines of that, oh, yeah. right? And then um, Shit's Creek, of course like you know everyone shits creek these days it's fantastic i actually haven't seen shits creek and i've been needing something to watch so i think i should just watch that next oh girl that's the one then you have to go to shits creek for sure you'll binge it i promise you i binge everything so i, I, I guarantee that i will you can't help it these days it's kind of what we're built to do in the oh the, yeah you know we were just talking before we started recording about 2020 and now we're in 2021 where i had a friend who was like i can't watch i'm done with netflix i've literally cleared netflix i'm like that can't be possible because they come out with something new literally like every other day yeah i agree i get i almost get to that point where i'm like oh nothing interests me anymore but sure <laughs> enough something pops up i'm like you've got me netflix Yes, 100%. Do you, uh, are you a fan of true crime at all? I am, but I can't watch it late at night because for some reason I dream about whatever I watch. I so. totally get that. I totally get that. And that's always like touch and go for me too. I don't know why, but there's some things I'll watch and I'm like, oh, that interested me. And then other ones where I'm like, I'm good. I need to turn this off. I think it would just be like maybe in the way it's presented or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just getting to know you and your content on your blog and your YouTube channel from my bowl. You have such great material you offer. Uh, you know, I must have been living under a rock to be coming to the From My Bowl party this late in the game. <laughs> um, can, can you tell us a bit about where you're from and how cooking was part of your life maybe before From My Bowl started? Yeah, sure. So I am originally from Columbia, Maryland, which is a suburb uh, like 15 minutes outside of Baltimore on the East Coast. And I grew up there and then I kind of hopped around a lot for college Um, So we'll just say I started there and now I live in the Pacific Northwest. But growing up, I was actually raised vegetarian. Both of my parents are vegetarian. So everyone in my immediate family ate that way. So I was kind of used to that way of life. Um, But I never really made a ton of like ethical connections to it. And honestly, we weren't really good cooks either. I love my parents. (laughs) I know that they tried, but my mom was, I would say like, an okay cook like she can make food that was edible and my dad was literally like defrost frozen vegetables and fake vegan meat (laughs) like (laughs) 
but uh, I had some family members who really loved to cook. So I think that's where I really enjoyed it. Or my best friend's mom growing up loved to cook. So it was more of like a special occasion event for me as a child. But then when I moved away to college and stopped using the meal plan, I definitely had to learn to cook because I was making all of my own food. So I will say when I first started, it was very basic, just like my dad, where I was like eating frozen vegetables. But then I was like, you know, this is really boring and I want to eat something more exciting. So (laughs) I kind of started by looking at other recipes online, but I'm a pretty creative person and I'm also very independent and like to do things my way. So very quickly, I started doing my own spin on things or coming up with my own recipes. And that's sort of how my love for cooking was born. And then on the side, I've always been really passionate in photography. I remember the first day Instagram came out for Androids, which is what I had at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I have to join. I'm going to take photos of everything, put a crappy filter on everything. (laughs) Exactly. The filters, the filters. (laughs) Uh, The old Instagram filters. Oh, so great. But so yeah, so Instagram sort of created a outlet where I can merge my love for photography and food. So I originally started for my bowl just as a little fun side project when I was in college. And once I felt like I had a hang of things in the kitchen and it evolved from there. So as my account grew, I really found a love and a passion for it. And I actually ended up dropping out of grad school for something completely different to pursue this full time. But I'm really glad I did because it's now my full time job and I have a blast doing it. Yes, I love that. So it started from an Instagram account then. Yes, I kind of did it the backwards way. You know, most people say, oh, sure. so blog. And, but I started with Instagram, then I made a YouTube, then I made a blog. So, wow, that's so interesting. Now, yeah. And when, around what time did you start that Instagram account? Oof, okay. Time is a blur, but I, I mean, was, we had filters. So, I mean, that's given it away somewhat, maybe. That's right? true. I, I was a sophomore in college when it started. So, I think. I have it written in a blog post on my blog, but I think it was like maybe 2016. Okay. Okay. And did you find that your following on Instagram grew so much, so much that you created the other things or was it kind of like, Oh, I'm having fun on Instagram. So I'm going to build on these other outlets as well. I would say it was more of the former. So I would say for probably maybe like the first two years, I, it was literally just like a boring meal log. And if you scroll back on my account, you can find it day after day a photo of a bowl of oatmeal <laughs> for some reason on my comforter in my bedroom that I thought was like the best oh, backdrop so I love it so much but then I saw other people's beautiful photos and it inspired me to try harder I guess or to try to be more creative and put more meaning and intention behind my photos so once I started doing that my account really started to grow and take off and I also just feel like it was a really great time for me to do that because vegan cooking was trending across Instagram sure. as well. So my account started to take off on Instagram and people would ask me if I was ever going to make a YouTube channel. And I loved watching YouTube at the time. And I was like, oh no, I can't do that. And then one day I was like, what the heck? I might as well try it. And then same thing there, it just started to slowly grow. And then I had a few videos that went viral and did really well. And then I just continued to grow an audience. That's great. That's so interesting to me because when I started the vegan roadie, I started it as a series on YouTube and then I was very uh, resistant to doing an Instagram. I'm just an old man, basically. Like I keep getting invited to clubhouse by people right now. And I'm like, (laughs) I am not interested in going to this clubhouse thing. I don't want to be in a club. I don't want to join the club. I don't want to do one more thing on my phone. I'm sure it's lovely. 
I'm sure it's great, but for me, I'm just like, can we just do like the like the content that we were trying? Like, I get so overwhelmed by it. But then, you know, I joined Instagram, and that's the thing that had the most traction for me out of the mm-hmm. stuff that I was doing. So that's interesting to hear you started there. Uh, well, let's talk about when I when I went to your blog and I was poking around and on the about page. You know, your your journey seems very interesting. And when it, from it, been able to tell, you started out offering oil free and more healthful, saying that with air quotes and uh, healthful approach yeah. at your recipes uh, and your about section on your blog. You talk about your food philosophy, stating that your relationship with food hasn't always been the best. It's been balanced, disordered, healthy, restrictive, obsessive, and pretty much everything in between. And girl, I have to say me too. I think a lot <laughs> of people can relate to that, right? So tell us about your food journey and how from my bowl has shifted maybe because of that. Yeah, totally. I think it's pretty normal to have a kind of weird relationship with food. First of all, I think almost if any person has a hundred percent normal relationship with food, I would really love to meet them and know how it happened. Yeah. Applause. Standing ovation for that person. (laughs) Yeah, really. Um, So I definitely went through a phase, I'd say in high school or early college where I'm a very type A person and food was one thing I felt like I can control when I was stressed about, about other things in my life. So I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I would say, objectively speaking, I definitely had a disordered relationship with food. Um, luckily for me, though, that was an obstacle I was able to overcome just working on it myself. One day I realized like, hey, this really isn't healthy. And honestly, one day I just got tired of being so obsessive about what I ate. Mm-hmm. I was like, there is more to life then logging everything I eat into my fitness pal and like not wanting to go out to eat with my friends because I can't log it or whatever. So luckily for me, I was able to sort of come to those terms on my own and I didn't really need to get help. Not that that's a bad thing at all. I think if people have access to it, therapy is always a great option. Um, So, and that saying, I still joined veganism or became vegan when I was very health conscious about what I ate. And the time that I became vegan was also when a lot of the oil-free, really high-carb, low-fat vegans were very popular across Mm -hmm. Instagram and YouTube. So as someone who was transitioning to veganism, I saw that these popular accounts were eating in a certain way. And because that was my only exposure with it, I kind of thought that that was what I had to do too. So I started out um, leaning more towards those diets, still incorporating my own and like putting my own spin on things. But the more I've been vegan, the more that I have realized that in order to make veganism the most sustainable it is for you, it's to eat really what you want and what you're craving. And, you know, someone who lives in Hawaii might want to eat tropical fruit all day, but I live in Washington state. We just had three feet of snow a few (laughs) weeks ago. So I'm not going to be making a fruit smoothie when there's a ton of snow. Sure, sure. So I've sort of gradually transitioned more into intuitive eating and just as I've grown and expanded I sort of a bubble of veganism into people who are vegan and eat differently from me or people who aren't vegan and still eat, try to eat um, more sustainably or make eat locally and things like that. I have sort of questioned my own set of beliefs and I used to be an oil-free vegan and I still think that there are benefits to reducing the amount of oil in your diet. But that being said, I don't think it has to be the be-all end-all of your life. So with my blog, it originally started as an oil-free blog and my cookbook is oil-free, but I do make a note in the cookbook and on my blog that, hey, if you want to add oil to your meals, you totally can. I just want to show you 
that you can make delicious food without the use of oil, but that also doesn't mean that we're not using fat at all. I still use nuts and seeds and other things. And some people do choose to adopt an oil-free lifestyle for health reasons or because they personally feel better. And if they want to, and that's a totally healthy, mentally healthy decision on their part, that's fine. For me, what works best is, you know, when I want to eat things with a little less oil, I will. But also if I want to go out to eat, I'm not going to worry about that. Or sometimes when I'm at home, I just want fried tofu and I'll make that too. I think balance is key and everyone's balance is going to be a little bit different. So I always encourage people to never compare their diet to someone else and really do what works best for them through trial and error. I could not agree with you more. That's fantastically said. I myself am on the same note when it comes to oil. I used to use it. Then I went through a period where I didn't. And now I kind of, I use a little like less than I used to, you know, and sometimes I don't use it at all. And I'm like, no, I don't really need it today or I don't want it. I'm not deep frying food every day, but. Right, right. Yeah. I'm going to have it. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. I, um, so was that the biggest shift I would say? Was it were you, so I was looking at your videos and you had the, you know, my new diet video and you were talking about everybody I'm about to swear, listeners I'm about to swear, if you have a child, cover their ears. You were reading The Fuck It Diet. And <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. so I I had actually seen that book about a year ago. So when you, I was watching that video a couple of days ago and then I was like, oh, you know, I have a credit on Audible. I'm going to put it in while I'm, I'm going to and from work. It's a, it's very interesting book um, and it's is that sort of where you are now with that, that sort of intuitive eating? Yeah, I would say that's where I'm at. I read the book. I didn't agree or do 100% of the things she recommend, but sure. I think it was a great, uh, like, thought-provoking book to read. It really made me question what I thought was, quote-unquote, healthy or unhealthy, and it helped me to develop a new, like, set of practices that I live by, but Honestly, I feel very happy to say I've gotten to the point with food where I don't spend all day thinking about it. Or when I eat a meal, I'm not like, well, how can I make this healthier? I just listen to my body and I'm like, oh, this is what I'm craving right now. So this is what I'm going to eat. And, you know, if I haven't had a vegetable all day, I'll be like, okay, I know it will be good for me to eat some vegetables. So I will eat those too. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, if I haven't had like a, some greens in a couple days, my, I'm suddenly like, oh my gosh, I want it. I want it so bad. Yeah. And it surprises me even. And I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to get it. And the minute I have some kale, I'm like, oh, I feel a little better now. But it's taken me years to sort of like instinctually sort of have that craving or want for kale, you know, mm-hmm. like whoever would have thought that would have been a thing. Certainly not me. Um, when Now, when you were writing this book, I guess that's my question then. Was your diet sort of shifting as you were writing this book? And did you find it difficult since you were doing all of these oil-free, gluten-free, no refined sugar recipes? Mm -hmm. Or was it, was it kind were you in the middle space with that? Is my question making sense? Like, were you transitioning still? And was it hard to write the book because of that? There we go. I think that for me, it was sort of during a transition period. So I think something a lot of people might not know. Um, but they may know if they listen to this podcast as I writing a book takes <laughs> a long time. So yeah, you, know, you, yeah. you meet with several publishers, you sign a contract and that can take a while. But then from like getting the contract to publishing the book on average um, for most like larger publishing companies, I think it's about two years, or at least for me, I had a year to write a book and then they edited it for a year before it came to print. So it was definitely when I started even when I started and pitched the book to publishers, I was kind of transitioning and eating a little bit more oil in my diet, but I still wanted to write this book because I didn't feel like there were other books 
like it. And I also wanted to sort of take a more balanced approach to oil-free where I feel like a lot of people engage in like food shaming or health shaming when they refer to eating an oil-free diet. But I tried to make a point to not do that in my book um, where I was like, hey, here's just a way that you can eat. If you want to eat a different way, that's fine. And I'm sure that's just as delicious too. But here's a way to eat without oil. If you're interested, that is also delicious. Yes, I love that. Well, when we talk about books and we talk about your history with food and cooking, I'm curious, what was your first, I know you weren't learning to cook from your parents necessarily from what you've said so far. Uh So what was your first vegan cookbook that you had? Do you recall? Mm -hmm. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby! I honestly don't know, because I think for me, when I first went vegan at the time... I was a college student, so buying a lot of cookbooks was not in my budget. So I visited a lot of recipe blogs, um, but now later in life, I do try to support cookbook authors. But I think at that time, I looked at a lot of what was just coming up for me online was more like Oshi Glows, Minimalist Baker, um, I think like Detoxinista, she's not vegan. But when I was searching for recipes, those were popping up more and they were more, I would say, uh, like simple whole food plant base. They focus more on like vegetables and faux meat alternatives, I would right. say. Um, right. But they still did use some oil. Um, yeah. And so, when I first, yeah, I don't know. And the bigger influence for me was on YouTube because I feel like I okay. watched YouTubers there. So people like um, Bonnie, Rebecca, High Carb, Hannah, I watched them. Um, but it's funny because some of them now aren't oil free either. So, you know, we're all always changing and growing. Yeah. Well, that's sort of how we're supposed to be as humans. I hope we are. Right. I, um, I, I enjoy, I like asking that question and I I enjoy those answers because I like our listeners to hear sort of where our authors got their first inspiration from to start cooking. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that you had a, a little grab bag there from YouTube and such. That's nice. Now let's get into your book, your book, simply delicious vegan, 100 plant-based recipes by the creator of from my bowl. That's you starts off with a very thoughtful and straightforward introduction chatting about whole food plant-based gluten-free refined sugar-free cooking oil-free whole food pantry staples and gadgets and gizmos for the kitchen from the start this makes a great book for the beginner but it is also uh, an engaging sort of read for maybe a vegan cooking veteran you break down the oil-free gluten-free and refined sugar-free concept in such a digestible way and I certainly appreciate that Uh, chapter one is called waking up with of course breakfast foods Uh, from the chapter opener right away we see broccoli cheddar egg cups what's the egg made of in these So it's a base of chickpea flour, Mm -hmm. which is higher in protein. And it's actually a more dense flour when you cook with it, which is why I used it in this recipe, because when you bake sort of those egg cups that you would see people make with meal prep and stuff all the time, the eggs themselves are more dense. It's not fluffy like a muffin. So that's why I used it in the recipe to get a similar texture and you still get that plant-based protein as well. Well, they look delicious. And what's your go-to breakfast recipe in this chapter? So one of my favorite recipes in this chapter, and also the one I've seen a lot of people make, is the lemon poppy seed granola. 
I kind of like to take untraditional flavor combinations and fuse them together. Um, maybe not like completely new flavor combinations, but usually when you think of lemon poppy seed, you think of muffins or bread. But what I like to do is like, hey, let's put a twist on it and make it into granola too. So I like it. It's really crunchy and delicious and it's more of a fresh flavor while some granolas can be like really sweet. And, you know, if it's like chocolate, peanut butter, more on the heavier side. But I think this is really great on top of smoothies or yogurt. Um, for a good morning breakfast. It seems like it'd have like a really bright sort of refreshing flavor to it with yes. lemon poppy seed. I uh, actually have that one noted here as one that popped out to me too. So that is not surprising. Um, and you have everything avocado toast. I tell you, everything seasoning on avocado toast is probably my all-time favorite thing in the world. I do everything seasoning and a little bit of sriracha and it's heaven. I love it so oh, much. Right. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the PB&J smoothie cubes. Yeah, so this was an idea that I had. The premise of the cookbook, I want to make vegan eating accessible for people. So whether that's with simple, more budget-friendly ingredients or ways that they can make food ahead of time, I want them to make cooking in the kitchen uh, fun, exciting, and not overwhelming. So with the PB&J smoothie cubes, we use an ice cube tray and we sort of blend the smoothie base ahead of time in just a food processor. Then you freeze it in the ice cube mold. So you know you can do that up to two weeks before you want to make it. In the morning, you wake up, you're stumbling around trying to get your coffee. You don't really feel like making breakfast. You have to head out the door or just upstairs if you're working from home. You can just pop the cubes in a blender with some non-dairy milk. And if you want to add an extra banana or plant-based protein powder, then you blend it all up and your smoothie's ready to go. So it really simplifies the ingredient list on the day of making if you already have the smoothie cubes like packed ahead of time, if that makes sense. That is genius. Um, very, I'm like applause over here. I wish I had the applause button. I, um, <laughs> I've been seeing as I'm talking to different authors, different ways to get uh, smoothies in in the morning that are quick. And I, I love it. One is there's, you know, it's always like smoothie kits and things frozen and this and that. This one seems like the most uh, straightforward approach so far. So I love it. I think I might try it. Uh, yeah. Now I know I just said that breakfast is everyone's favorite, but then we get to chapter two, which is dedicated to brunch. So I think I might change my tune on this because brunch is <laughs> really everyone's favorite. Do you prefer breakfast or brunch? What about you? Oh, I mean, well, during the week, I don't eat super early in the morning, but I eat standard breakfast foods. But I mean, I think nothing can beat a weekend brunch where you get to sleep in a little bit and then make like a larger meal, maybe mix some savory and sweet, which is what I kind of like to do. So I love that. Well, yeah. from the jump, we see a salted caramel French toast casserole. I don't need the picture to know I want to make that, but thankfully <laughs> you supplied us with a gorgeous image. Uh, you hook us up in here with uh, three ingredient multi-purpose dough that we can use for fruity pies, vegan quiches, and crispy pizza crust. I love a recipe that allows us to do multiple things. Always a win. Uh, I think I will need to try the sun-dried tomato and spinach quiche that's in the chapter, though. What are a couple recipes you might tell our listeners to make uh, first out of the brunch chapter when they get the book? I was actually going to recommend the quiche. I really love that one. Um, the other thing that I like, kind of what I mentioned earlier, I turn zucchini bread into pancakes. Mm. So personally, I love zucchini bread. I think if it's done right, it's not overly mushy. And sure. I know everyone's putting shredded zucchini in their oats, but I was like, well, you know, I'm going to put it into pancakes and make it <laughs> a little more fresh and fun. And I really like that flavor combination. Um, and then with this brunch thing, I also sort of made a few deconstructed things that you can combine to make your own 
brunch. So I have like an herby tofu scramble that you could also customize, add your own herbs to. We have a sweet potato and kale skillet. So you could cook both of those up, maybe serve it with some sweet and smoky tempeh that's also in this chapter. Uh, I make that at least once a week, honestly, with breakfast or dinner. I I love that you said that. I love to know from the authors what they're still making from their books too. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. So it's a great like mix and match chapter. If you want to have friends over or, you know, whoever you're living at home with, you can have a nice meal. Personally, like I said, I just like to mix sweet and savory and I'm a very textural person too. I don't like to eat food that's all one note. So I try to do that in the recipes too. Well, in after we leave this chapter, we come to a little section. You've got a few of these in the books. This one's called How to Make Your Food Look as Pretty as You. Um, I love that you did this because it's never addressed in books, and I'm jealous I didn't think of it first. What do you tell the home cook is the key to making food look pretty in this section? Yeah, I feel like a major letdown is when someone tries to make a recipe online, and then it's like you see those things on Pinterest where it's like, photo my attempt and it doesn't look as good mm-hmm. and it can be really disappointing but a lot of things people don't realize is that we're also professional food photographers or some people will hire a food stylist sure and the food will look perfect and even in real life you know with post-production and stuff it may not look the same but i wanted to give people some basic tips on how to make their food a little bit better so we talk about how to add more color to your food or how to make your food look more visually interesting and i actually do uh, give a few tips on texture as well because i'm a textural eater That's great. And chapter three is titled for slurping with refreshing Mm -hmm. options like cucumber and roasted red pepper gazpacho, a cozy soup, uh, like a classic tomato or something, maybe a little in between like a lentil quinoa stew. What is a soup from this chapter you've returned to this winter to make again and again, my dear? So I really love Thai food. So I really like the green curry soup with zucchini noodles. So basically what I did here is I took all the flavors of a Thai curry but I made the curry itself into a soup. So I added more liquid. But for me, that just means I get to enjoy the flavors of the curry for a little bit longer while I eat my soup. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yes. I love this one because it's very bright and colorful, but it's still cozy enough to enjoy in the wintertime. And it's also really easy to customize with whatever veggies you have on hand. That's perfect. I've got a little, uh, my pages are bent here on broccoli cheddar soup and peanut butter and sweet potato soup. Oh yeah. Yeah. Delicious. What's the broccoli cheddar soup? What's the base of that? So for the broccoli cheddar soup, I use a base of both cashews and potatoes. We only use a little bit of cashews to add to the creaminess, but the starchiness of the potatoes also helps to thicken the soup and give it a creamier, heartier bite. And plain potatoes are actually one of the most satiating foods. Though we are adding a bunch of other seasonings here. I love, I listen, I love potatoes and I love cashews and sauces when it comes with, cashews are magic, first of all. And I'll go and I'll, I've done plenty of sauces without them, but honestly, the minute I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to add like a quarter cup of cashews to that. the, The way it changes into this creamy, luscious, like beautiful sauce just blows my mind or soup base or whatever it is, the creaminess that it adds to it. You know, it's, it's so fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I think it has a really great sort of neutral flavor profile. There might be like Mm -hmm. a subtle hint of sweetness, but it's not as detectable in savory recipes. So I do use it a lot throughout the book. 
I love it. And I, I love um, just uh, anything with potatoes, too. So I'm here for that soup. It sounds delicious. Chapter four is salads and slaws. Salad has gotten such a bad rap in the vegan world with non-vegans thinking it's all we eat. So then we try to be like, no, we eat pizza and mac and cheese and all the things when the truth yes. is, you know, it's like it's it, it may not be all we eat, but we still love a great salad. That's the truth of it all. And we've had to sort of be like, that's not all we eat. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, but I could really go for a delicious salad right now. <laughs> Um, yeah. When it came to writing this chapter, what are a couple recipes you knew had to be in this book for salads? Yeah. So I definitely wanted to prove the point you were making earlier that salad (laughs) does not have to be boring or involve iceberg lettuce and like soggy tomatoes. So I tried to provide a variety of different salads that again, were either colorful, really textural, or even if they were simple, they weren't like a sad looking side salad, you know, sad salad. So one of my favorite all around salads or ways to make a salad in general is to combine like cooked food with fresh food with crunchy food and you got color. So I really like the crispy chickpea salad with creamy avocado dressing. So you get tender greens. We got some crunchy veggies. We make some quick pickled red onions, and then you can make these crispy chickpeas. Uh, it's a recipe in another part of the book. You can make them in the air fryer or in the oven, but they have some really smoky, garlicky, yummy, savory seasonings on them. So they almost sort of act as croutons on top of the salad. Mm. And it's really good. Delicious. What And give me another salad too. What's another one? Sure. So I also really like, again, chickpeas. I just love chickpeas. What can I hey, say? Hey, no, no complaints from me. I really like the curry chickpea salad. It's supposed to be a riff on like a chicken salad, but instead of the, you know, standard like mayonnaise and a few additional things, I decided to add more spice and flavor to it by adding curry powder to it. And then to complement the curry powder, we've also got I added some finely chopped broccoli, shredded carrots, and raisins. If you don't like raisins, you can leave them out. Don't come for me. But I really like how they they plump up in the dressing overnight, and it adds a nice contrast to the savory chickpea part, and you get a nice sweet bite. I love it. Listen, don't come for her. If you don't like raisins, just take them out. People getting so crazy online, I tell you. I would make this, but I don't like raisins. I can see somebody saying it right now. It's like just like the standard YouTube comment. How could you use raisins? Oh my goodness, just take it out. It's fine. Uh, Your family must be so impressed by you if you're talking about coming from a family that you know doesn't really cook. Do you like just wow them on the holidays? Yeah, I really love to cook for them. And it's also really interesting, sort of after I left and started cooking more, um, my mom will make my recipes and she'll send me. I love it. And she's also my editor. She'll be like, Caitlin, you had three typos in your blog post. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, bless. That's fantastic. Oh, I love that. I I get some free labor out of her, but she started to make more (laughs) of vegan recipes and stuff. So when I go home, we'll make recipes together or I will cook for them. Um, but yeah, my mama stepped it up a little. So kudos I to love her. that. I have a friend in New York who will always message me on Instagram and be like, uh, this has a typo in it. And at first I was like, why are you like being, and then I was like, oh no, like just take it. He's helping you like go fix it. Yeah. The edit and move on. It's great. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. At first I was like, excuse me. And then I was like, no, great. Keep it coming. Fantastic. Um, well, chapter five is grab and go for the busy people on the go here. Tell us about all the all-in-one sushi that we see right when we open the, to this chapter. Yeah. So this chapter is based around snacks or food that you can quickly make and store and then enjoy later. So I tried to do a mix of sweet and savory. So this all-in-one sushi is sort of, if you want to take sushi on the go, but you don't want to have, you know, your little container for your soy sauce, maybe you have some wasabi or pickled ginger. This already combines all the seasonings into the rice. Perfect. And then you roll up into sushi so you can just bite into it and enjoy as is. You're a smart cookie. That's perfect. I'm actually can't yeah. wait to make this now. That's great. 
well, I have my eye on the one bowl banana bread balls, to be honest. They look so easy and delicious. Can you tell us yeah, about it's those? Like, if you don't want to wait for banana bread to bake in the oven, you can just whip those up really quick. I would also like to say the green curry cashews. Every one of my friends who has made them has told me that they cannot stop eating them. So I would say they're really delicious, but maybe make them at your own risk. You yeah, you're like, it's an addictive, you've, you've made an addictive <laughs> recipe. That's a, Hey, that's yeah. a good sign when people are like, I want to make more and I can't stop eating them. That's great. Yes, totally. You also have the best hummus dot 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 ever. Tell us, Caitlin, what makes it the best hummus ever? So I actually um, went to israel a few years ago and i talked to a few different chefs and the hummus in like the middle east is so much better and so different than the hummus we get at the grocery store like it's often served warm and has a really nice texture mm. um so i did some research online and i also talked to a few friends and i was like well how do they make it over there and how can i make it a little bit easier it's still more time consuming than buying a tub of hummus, but I think sure. it's great for special occasions and it really does make a difference. One of the secrets is to peeling the chickpeas and this is the time to watch The Office. You put The Office on, you peel <laughs> your chickpeas, you don't complain, it's just like a mindless task you do and then you make delicious hummus afterwards. That's so funny. Put The Office on and then you're entertained for the three hours that it takes you to peel the chickpeas. <laughs> If you're, if you're like doing it, it probably takes like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 I was exaggerating everyone. I was exaggerating. <laughs> Plus I enjoy this little tip. There was a place that when I lived in New York, a restaurant I used to go to all the time that had the best hummus. And I'm telling you, this has to be the reason why. So, um, that's a good tip for everybody. And it's in the book. Y'all the recipes, there, the best hummus ever. Uh, we also get grab and goes of no bake brownies. Like she said, the green curry cashews, pumpkin spice date bites, the list of grab and go items are very enticing here. And you take us into another little section after this chapter with low waste kitchen hacks what is one simple low waste kitchen hack we might easily implement to be a better human sure so i personally think one of the best ways to reduce waste is to shop in bulk which i know not everyone has access to but for me personally i know this sounds crazy but i buy 20 pound bags of chickpeas and lentils and rice get it um, but they're never going to go bad. Like you're going to eat all those beans before they go bad. They're incredibly yeah. shelf stable. And I think switching to buying dried beans and cooking them yourself is a great way to reduce your waste because you can buy them in larger quantities. It's cheaper. So you're saving money, but it also reduces a lot of waste from a lot of canned beans. Because if you think about it, like one can of beans, that's a, a, lar a good amount of waste. Like it can be recycled, but Long story short, not everything that you put in the recycling bin gets recycled. Right. So personally, I like to buy like larger quantities. You can buy larger things of rice at like uh, club membership stores like Sam's Club, Costco, BJ's. I am lucky to live near a grocery store that has a really great bulk section. So they have huge bags of black beans, lentils. I buy 20 pound bags of oatmeal. Oh I buy goodness. a lot in bulk. <laughs> I imagine. So when the pandemic came, you were probably like, you were like, guys, you're all going crazy. I got this. Like, I'm good. Yeah. Like, like I, you know, I've got dinner. I'll, I'll deliver dinner to you. I've got everything covered. I was like, I may not have fresh vegetables, but I can still eat chickpeas. <laughs> so you're like, I'll, I will be here peeling my chickpeas. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I love the name of chapter six. Simply put, it's just called crispy. I'm in. Uh, you have croutons in here. I'm obsessed with either making my own from scratch or also getting, have you had Kelly's croutons before? Oh, those are 
addicting. They're everything. And she's awesome too. So I love a company that's owned by awesome people. Y'all check out Kelly's Croutons. But uh, if you don't want to order some or you want to make your own, you've got a recipe in Caitlin's book. And you have the crispy seasoned chickpeas. One of my favorite snacks, to be honest, are some crispy chickpeas. I love it. Uh, Tell us about the cheesy battered zucchini fries. Sure. So I sort of made these out of well, actually, it's a good segue from the low waste kitchen hack. So the year I was making this cookbook, uh, I started my first garden and we planted so many zucchini plants. And we didn't <laughs> realize that when you plant zucchini, it gets massive. So wow. we had so much zucchini we had to eat. And I'm like, what's a fun recipe I could make with this? So I sort of took, it's kind of like a French fry, but it's battered in like a nutritional yeast sort of cheesy batter. And it's really good dipped in tahini sauce or also the jalapeno ranch recipe in the cookbook. So it's just sort of a fun way to use up your zucchini. You know, if you don't want to make zucchini bread or zucchini bread with pancakes. Right. It looks delicious. It really looks so good. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, zucchini fries. Why? I never, uh, cheesy battered at that. And what is a favorite from the crispy chapter for you? What's a favorite recipe for you? So I really like the golden cauliflower wings. I feel like vegan cauliflower wings are kind of a staple at a lot of restaurants for like the vegan option for appetizers. But that being said, I still think these are great. And it's also fun to make at home. The batter is a little bit different. I like to use almond flour as well. Um, yeah, the batter, the wet mix, I use some brown rice flour. And then in the dry mix, there's almond flour. So it almost makes it a little bit more buttery and it gets crispy with the natural fat from the almonds. And I also wrote this recipe. So it's sort of a base. So first you're going to bake the cauliflower without any sauce on it. And then you can customize it however you want. So here I give a few different flavor options. I have an orange sauce recipe and a teriyaki sauce recipe, but you can also totally customize this yourself and add buffalo sauce or any other marinade that you like, or just add more seasonings to the batter. That's just what I tried to do with some of the recipes in this cookbook is make it so people can use it as a going off point. So maybe if you're new to cooking or you don't know how to do certain flavor combinations, you have a base recipe that once you get comfortable with it, you can start to customize it to your own liking. Some variations. And also what I love about that is you're just allowing people freedom to cook. Like, hey, make this thing. And then once you're comfortable, like, go for it. Here's some other options or like try your favorite things. I always love when an author sort of like, you know, gives the reader, uh, the home cook some freedom to play on their own. That's always, yeah. uh, it's, it's sort of reassuring to the reader, especially if they're just sort of dipping their toes in for the first mm-hmm. time. Uh, well, we're getting into chapter seven called quick and cozy. It doesn't get much better than that. Tell the listeners about some of your favorite quick and cozy recipes from this chapter. Sure. So this rest, uh, this chapter is based around the instant pot or an electronic pressure cooker. So it makes the recipes faster. And it's also generally speaking more hands off because once you put everything in the pressure cooker and seal it, you can just forget about it until the timer goes off. Shut it and forget it. A lot of these recipes will make larger portions. So they're great for meal prep. So I have some Cajun spiced beans and rice, which is a great, you know, the beans and rice are already there. You can add extra veggies or there are some veggies in there. You can just enjoy it as is. We have a Tex-Mex black bean chili that's really hearty and flavorful and has like Southwestern chili vibes instead of Mm. traditional chili flavors, which I really like. And I also personally, I like the Instant Pot pumpkin pasta. I'm a huge fan of low maintenance dishes and this is one of them. So it's like a set it and forget it. So you put dry pasta in with the perfect amount of liquid and all the other ingredients and then it comes out as perfectly sauce pasta. So you don't need to use two pots and the seasoning actually infuses into the pasta as it cooks too. 
All right, you're selling me. I'm going to make that pasta. Here's my thing. I'm going to make a confession to everyone. I have an Instant Pot and I do use it. I'll make things like uh, quinoa and rice and stuff in uh-huh. it. But I rarely dive into like full-on recipes. And when they got out pressure cookers at culinary school, I would literally run to the back of the class or be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. That way, like that recipe got assigned to somebody else. I just didn't trust it because I couldn't see inside of it. I was like, I can't see what's happening this whole time. So I can't trust this. But when you talk about just tossing the pasta in and walking away, like how long does that uh, pumpkin pasta take? Let me check. It's got to be like five minutes, right? Yeah, it it takes five minutes plus the time to come to pressure which if it's a smaller volume of things so it doesn't take very long at all i mean come on i'm i i'm gonna dive into that and make it and also the dill delicious mashed potatoes i don't know if i want to make that just because i love mashed potatoes or because i love that you said dill delicious mashed potatoes i'm a sucker for bad puns <laughs> <laughs> and i love it it caught me so either way i'm gonna make those two some pasta and mashed potatoes uh and super quick fixes is the name of chapter eight there is a vegan pad thai in the chapter opener that looks like a must make and a one pot mushroom stroganoff that i am here for as well what is a quick fix or two you might tell someone to make who just got your book today sure so this chapter is focused on like really quick but also satisfying recipes you can make for dinner if you don't have a lot of time so it's great for like weeknight dinners i personally like the buffalo cauliflower penne. So again, I took like classic buffalo cauliflower and I was like, well, I want to enjoy it longer. So I'm going to turn it into pasta and I'll just roast the cauliflower and the buffalo sauce will be in the sauce. So it's interesting, but it's still kind of familiar. So it's really like comforting, cozy kind of meal. And I also just really love pasta. So I would also really recommend the kale pesto pasta Mm. Um, because you know, you're still getting some hidden greens because the kale is in the pesto. Yeah, if you're not a big fan of eating a ton of leafy greens, you can make pesto, serve it with pasta. And that is also the pesto that's used on the avocado toast in the brunch chapter or maybe the breakfast chapter. I can't remember. Right. But, One of the two. Either way, something yeah, close to way, morning time. A morning meal. <laughs> but yeah. Well, and we've got uh, at the uh, main section of the book is chapter nine, Marvelous Mains, we call it mm-hmm. here. And I love a sheet pan meal and the sheet pan teriyaki with crispy teriyaki tofu, broccoli, jasmine, rice, and date sweetened teriyaki sauce sounds divine. The mains chapter is always so special to me because it's a whole meal. So it feels eventful, right? Are there any mains in this chapter that are particularly special to you or like an old family favorite veganized or something you always serve at a holiday or anything like that? Yeah. For me, I really like the chunky portobello stew with chickpea dumplings. I think I like it because it was one of the harder recipes for me to make. So I had to test it a few times, but I'm really happy with how it came out. So the base of it, it's a really thick and hearty stew, almost like the base that you would use for a pot roast. There's like onion, celery, carrots, huge chunks of mushrooms in it. So it's really hearty and cozy. And there's also potatoes. So I think you'll like it. (laughs) And then- the okay. picture is stunning. The picture, it's such a great picture. Like I'm just into it right away. So I definitely will. Yeah. And then we're making sort of drop dumplings, which is sort of like a biscuit that you bake in the pot on top of the soup. But again, we're going to be using chickpea flour. So it's a little bit higher in protein and it just has a different texture than normal biscuits. But the hardest part is it's kind of like an instant pot. Once you put the dumplings in, you have to close the lid of the pot and you can't touch it until they're done cooking. So I've perfected the recipe so you don't have to worry about it. But when I was testing it, 
was like, oh no, do I open the pot? Are they done? Are they not? So I did test it a few times to make sure the cooking time was right. Yeah, I got it. Dumplings, it's like if you sometimes too, when you think they're done and then they're just like a little gooey, you're like, oh man, I just need like five <laughs> more minutes on that. Come on. I was testing a couple weeks ago, like a gluten-free dumpling and I'm super stoked to say they turned out delicious. They were great, but I definitely had the first test run. They were like, the ones in the middle seem done. And I was like eating and then I was like, oh, the side ones are still like gooey. This did not work out in my favor, but we got it right eventually. You've got a taco mac and cheese in here. Tell me about that, please. So it's a, again, like I said, I like to combine things. So I've combined my love for pasta with tacos. So we make a sort of cheesy sauce for the pasta. Um, that's a base of actually vegetables. So there's potatoes and carrots in it. But then we're also going to make a taco, quote unquote, meat using lentils and seasonings. So you could also use, you know, like a store-bought vegan ground meat if you were short on time. But I wanted to give an option using lentils because, you know, some people don't have access to that. It's a little bit cheaper. Sure. We top it with classic taco toppings. So, you know, we've got some diced tomatoes on there, some shredded cabbage, some green onion. You can really add whatever you want. But it's just a fun way to eat tacos in the form of pasta and mac and cheese. Absolutely. Mac and cheese. It's my favorite thing. When I when I went the when I got into this whole realm of cooking and books and all that stuff like that and one of the reasons I started getting so into cooking after I went vegan is because I was like, I'm going to make the best vegan mac and cheese there ever was. And I don't know if I've done it yet. I've had some really amazing ones. Shockingly, one of the best ones I've ever had is at a place that's not vegan in Seattle. I don't know if it's still there. It's called Cafe Pedariso, I think. And it was oh, the most amazing mac and cheese. But sometimes that's it takes somebody who isn't necessarily so immersed in the vegan world to like really find those flavors sometimes. So it's always interesting to see where it comes from, you know. But I've had some amazing mac and cheeses, and I'm sure this taco mac and cheese would be on that list as well. And from flatbreads to paschetti, paschetti squash, flatbreads <laughs> to spaghetti squash, you have it covered in mains. And also that taco mac and cheese, saying it one more time, because I think I'm going to put that on my list too. Uh, mm -hmm. It takes us into another little side note called eat plants, save money. In short, how can we save money by eating plants? Sure. So, you know, I feel like that's a classic uh, incentive people use to go vegan. It's like, well, you'll save money. Um, but that's not necessarily true. If you're shopping a lot of pre-packaged or already made products, there are a lot of fun vegan products out there on the market nowadays. But I will say, if you buy them all, your grocery bill is going to be very high. So I just gave a true. few tips on how to, you know, save some money while you're making your own food from home. I think if you have the time, making food from home is a great way to save money in general. So again, I mentioned like buying in bulk to save money, trying to shop seasonally. So don't buy all of the berries in the dead cold of winter when they're coming from who knows where. Right. You know, tips like that. That's great. Well, you done did it. Chapter 10 is called Desserts, my favorite place to be. Uh, first pick uh, is of these gosh darn homemade Snicker bars and I'm drooling over them. Tell us about the Snickers bars. So these are always a hit. I will say vegans and non-vegans alike. I've made them for family members who aren't vegan. I'm like, it just tastes like a snicker. But it's funny because the base is so simple. This recipe is actually on my blog too. So if you don't have the cookbook yet, you can use it as a sort of teaser intro to the cookbook. A little sneaky like, peek, y'all. Try it. Um, but it's a base of just oats that we blend up with medjool dates, peanut butter, vanilla extracts, and then you dunk it in chocolate. And that's it. I love it. So. It looks so delicious and it looks like a Snickers bar. So uh, these are going on my list too. And mm -hmm. you've got lemon bars, strawberry rhubarb bars. Did you grow up around rhubarb? 
I did, my grandma actually grew rhubarb in her garden. And whenever we visited her, she's like, I have so much rhubarb, we need to do something with it. So we would always make like a strawberry rhubarb pie. Did you ever just dip it in sugar and eat it? No, I'll have to oh, try that. I mean, maybe that's a Michigan thing. I'm from Michigan originally. I mean, okay. or whatever sort of sweetener, but like we would just dip it in a little sugar and like actually eat it. It's like sour and sweet. It's delicious. But I have, a, it, I'm, I, I love rhubarb. And every time I'm in Atlanta now, I was in New York the last 20 years. Whenever I say it to people, they're like, rhubarb, what are you talking about? Oh, and really? I, it's crazy to me. And I just did a strawberry rhubarb cheesecake for the company that I'm the culinary director for. And we rolled it out last summer and it was a huge hit. But everybody was like very confused by it. They like didn't understand what it was. And I was just like, none of you have really ever had rhubarb. Is that serious? So I was, I'm just always curious now, like who grew up around it? and Or did you like discover it as an adult? but you had it as a kid yep i did my grandma was in massachusetts so maybe it's like more of a northern versus southern thing Yeah, i think i need to do some some research on it you've got a fudgy tahini raspberry brownies cinnamon sugar donuts uh you give a great variety in the sweets arena what's a go-to sweet from this book for you i gotta say the fudgy tahini raspberry brownies even when i look at the picture now i start drooling a little bit they're so good they like melt in your mouth. I love the fruity pop of the raspberries when you bite into them. And if you don't like tahini, I know some people don't. I also give the option, you can use a different enough butter instead. So you could use almond butter or peanut butter. But I personally think that the tahini works really well in that recipe. Another one of my favorites is the salted caramel chocolate chip cookies. For me, I'm not a huge, like really, really overly sweet sugary dessert kind of person. So this chapter does reflect that the recipes aren't like super sweet. So I like these cookies. Because I would say it's kind of like the mix between a standard cookie and a little bit more shortbready because they're not as sweet, but they're sweet enough for me. And I like to top them with flaky salt. And that really brings things to the next level. Love flaky salt. And I'm seeing these uh, golden milk mango popsicles. Mango is my favorite paired here with coconut milk and warming spices. I'm totally here for it. How did you get this idea for a golden milk mango popsicle? So I love a lot of different Indian cuisine. Uh, I love the spice flavors they use. I really love cardamom personally. It's one of my favorite spices. And I was like, well, I kind of wanted to combine a mango lassi with golden milk. I was like, but I don't want to make like a smoothie. It's like, oh, I'll make a popsicle. That would be a really good refreshing treat to have at the end of the day, especially in the summer when it's really hot. So good. So good. And chapter 11 is Let's get saucy. Uh, mm -hmm. Listen, Caitlin, in our home, sauce sort of dictates what the meal will be. So I'm loving a sauce chapter forever and always. Are there some sauces in here that you find are staples in your home that you've put into the book? Yeah. So my goal with this chapter is a lot of these sauces or dressings will appear throughout the cookbook, but I wanted them to stand alone as well. Because like I said, I want to encourage people to go off on their own and cook their own recipes. So I wanted to have them separate, but then I also give at least one, sometimes two or three examples in the cookbook of what it can be served with or how you can incorporate it so people get more inspiration. So for me personally, I'm always whipping up some sort of a tahini sauce. I just find it's a really great quick dressing to add to a meal, whether it's over like a roasted veggie and grain bowl or using a salad. So I have three different variations on a tahini sauce you can make. And the creamy avocado dressing, I always like to use if, you know, you have an avocado that's starting to look a little sketchy. Maybe you can't make it for toast, but you can blend it into a dressing. And I would highly recommend the miso tahini gravy as well. It's great mm. for cozy and comforting, like roasted potatoes, maybe a holiday roast, things like that. 
I uh, I love miso. I love tahini. So all of that's uh, floating my boat over here. And I'm excited to try the jalapeno ranch as well. Mm, uh, that was a good one. The combo of that uh, looks very, very enticing to me. Well, we're at the point uh, here where we go to your book brag. Book brag! So what's something that you are very proud of when it comes to this book, a little humble book brag? For me, I think I am most proud of the fact that I took all of the photos and all of the recipes myself where I think... You know, it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because it was a ton of work and I was really stressed out, but it was worth it in the end. And I'm very proud that I did it for my first book. I know some people will hire um, food photographers out and, you know, hindsight is 2020. It would have been a great stress relief and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for me, I sort of wanted for my first book baby, you know, to really put 110% of myself in it. And photographing food for a cookbook is definitely a little different than photographing it for a blog. You know, you really only get one shot and you want to communicate everything about the recipe in that shot. So it was a little bit more of a fun challenge for me. And I had a lot of fun taking all the photos too. Well, you did a fantastic job and I congratulate you on a a fantastic book front to front to back. It really, really is great. And I want to circle back as we're talking about photos and you mentioned the, um, the rat the fudgy tahini raspberry brownies that photo is so lovely i just stopped as i was flipping through and i was just like gosh that's beautiful so there's some really great photos in here it's fantastic i love it thank you yeah and now we're on our baker's dozen rapid fire question round are you ready i'm ready all right here we go number one favorite spice to cook with smoked paprika Mm, me too uh must have kitchen tool i would say a mandolin very good. Also very dangerous. Have you ever cut yourself on a mandolin? Yes. So maybe buy one of those like cut proof gloves and yes, use that yes. for you. <laughs> so you're telling me that now. Thank you so much. Where <laughs> were you like six years ago? Uh, Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Ooh, uh, Brad Pitt. There you go. Hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Hot sauce. Celebrity you would want to cook for? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Um, oh man, I'm not answering very rapid fire. Let's that's all right. See. Uh, Steve Carell. I was going to say, oh, that's good. I was, I was like, don't get too stressed. We can always pull from two <laughs> questions and say bad Brad Pitt. It's totally fine. Uh, but Steve Carell, that's good. Have you watched the morning show on Apple TV? I haven't. I'll check it out. Oh yeah. Watch the morning show. He's in it. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Where was I recent? Oh, this goes with TV recently binge TV program. I just watched firefly lane this weekend on netflix while i was Ooh, what did you it. think i thought it was really good you know at first i didn't want to watch it because like oh it's gonna be overly girly or something sure. but as I, watched it, I was like i thought it was a really great like real depiction of friendship and both the characters have their own flaws so Okay, I really want to watch it. My husband was like, he was like, that's all you. You can watch that without me. I was like, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, and for that reason, he was like, that might be a little too, to have the girly feelings for me that I don't feel like getting into. And I was yeah. like, I'm all for it. Bring them on. Uh, all right, food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? Tiny spoon. I actually used to eat all of my smoothie bowls with a baby spoon. <laughs> Was I there... just enjoyed eating with a small spoon. I don't know why, but it's... how funny! I was like, "Was there a reason?" But I get it. Okay, it's enjoyable for you. Uh, favorite board game? Um, okay, so it's a game called Bump. It's kind of like a combination of Sorry, but you play oh. it with a card deck. So my um, future parents-in-law, my fiance's parents, introduced it to me, 
and it's really fun and addicting once you learn how to play it. Oh, well, I'm going to check that out. Bump. Okay, I wrote it on my little list here. Uh, favorite go-to quick snack? I would say either an apple with peanut butter or dates with peanut butter, which is very, very classic, very straightforward, but, you know, it hits the spot. I'm, I'm here for the peanut butter. Favorite vegan blogger or YouTuber? Myself. No, I'm just kidding. Yes! <laughs> I love it. I really enjoy there's this YouTuber, uh, her channel is called Good Eatings, and she lives, I can't recall, uh, somewhere like Eastern Europe, I think, or like one of those more like Scandinavian type uh, countries. That's bad. I should know where she lives. But I will say I really enjoy her cinematography and like the color grading and her food. She does a really great job, and I think she's underappreciated. And what is the name again? It's called Good Eatings. Good eatings, plural, yes. right? Eatings. Yes. And then um, for a food blogger, I really have been enjoying her handles called Eat Figs, Not Pigs. Oh, I know. Yeah. She has really beautiful, stunning food photography. So I always love looking through her photos and posts. And truly, it, I agree. With I, you. I'm like drooling as I'm looking at everything. Yeah, it's a good one. Eat Figs, Not Pigs. Uh, what's on your nightstand right now? Uh, I should go in and check. I have, let me see. I have a light alarm clock. I like to use that instead of a jarring noise, like gradually lightens in the morning. I have a fancy carafe for water in the middle. And then let's see. I have a little treat yourself with a carafe. Yeah. I I sound really bougie right now. I have a vase (laughs) with some dry flowers and a phone charger okay all right sounds like some essentials uh cutest thing that your dog does Hmm. okay when i'm on my phone and my dog wants my attention or i think when she thinks i've just been on my phone for too long she comes up next to me and she puts her paw she'll start on my arm but then if i ignore her she'll swat at my phone to get me to go off of it (laughs) i love it I love dogs. Uh, now you're near the Portland area. So what's your favorite Portland vegan restaurant? Kachi Thai. It's a vegetarian Thai restaurant, but I think everything can be made vegan. And I know that there are Thai restaurants everywhere, but the way they do it is just so good. It's really fresh vegetables. It's actually spicy. It's like really good flavor. It's hard to find spicy food in Portland, um, but they know how to do it. Is that, do you have a favorite dish from there? Green curry. All right. All right. Well, you survived. That's your uh, rapid fire. Good job. Well done. (laughs) Now, please tell everyone where they can follow you on social media and wherever else they might be able to find you. Sure thing. So you can follow me on Instagram at from my bowl. My blog is from my bowl.com. And then YouTube is actually youtube.com slash Caitlin Shoemaker. Fantastic. And of course, everyone go purchase a copy of Caitlin's scrumptious contribution to the cookbook world, Simply Delicious Vegan, 100 Healthy Plant-Based Recipes, everywhere books are sold. What do you think, my dear? Is there a second book in you? I think there could be. We'll see how this one goes. I'm going to take some time to de-stress, maybe like meditate a little bit. I'll still be posting recipes on my blog. I post one to two recipes every week, but I would definitely like to write another cookbook in the future. Good. I think we would like one from you. So I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of you in that world, which is great. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for taking the time to chat today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you some. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. She has a sort of no muss, no fuss, straightforward approach. I really appreciate it. I love her tips of shopping in bulk and her outlook on using oil and not using oil. Uh, Which is such a hot 
yeah, it's topic hot, these days. It's trendy, hot, it's a hot trendy oil topic. thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually uh, going to uh, work for a client this weekend, and they requested no oil. Um, and we're sort of parallel in that thought. Her and I, we welcome everyone. You know, no matter where they are in their food journey, oil-free, salt-free, Again, with like the oil, moderation. with the salt, or meal, meat-free, whatever. Yeah, moderation, totally. Like, just using ingredients in moderation or however much you want. It's it's your life and your plate. One meatless meal a week is one less meat-focused meal a week. You feel me? Totally. I feel like sometimes Not that gets me. a little lost. Um in some of the vegan police of it has to be the vegan popo, the vegan popo every always meal. Out there. And I think, you know, every meatless Monday is a victory for yes, a lot of people. 100%. You know? And the earth and animals and humans. Yeah, everybody. So, see. Si. See. Si. Yes. Uh, that's yes in Spanish. Um, what is <laughs> Thank you. Dustin's Thank you. dish this week? <clears throat> what is what is the Dustin's dish? Well, I want to chat just a little about bulk food because Caitlin certainly takes advantage of it, uh, as you can tell by listening in the interview. And if you're curious about bulk food and maybe thinking of getting into purchasing more in bulk, I wanted to give you some tips. So here's five quick tips. What do you think of that, honey? I love it. Give me number one. Five tips. The higher the turnover, the fresher the food. A busy store with a popular bulk food section will have a quick turnover. So you'll know you're getting fresher food. This is especially important with bulk spices since spices sort of lose their flavor quickly. Incidentally, bulk spices are where you'll have the highest savings, by okay. the way, if you were Save wondering. Those dollars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number two, don't assume that bulk foods are always cheaper. Uh, bulk foods are usually, but not always, a better value. So just do your homework and compare prices between bulk and packaged foods. Get out the calculator. Get out the calculator. And number three, where to start? Where do you start if you want to buy some bulk food? Uh, we buy some bulk, but not everything in bulk at all. Uh, quinoa and cashews are two we buy in bulk because we took stock of what we were using the most. So don't run out and replace everything with bulk. Observe your grocery store and eating habits for a month or so and replace accordingly. Uh, or observe your groceries, rather, uh, and your eating habits for a month or so and replace accordingly. So you don't end up buying bulk of an ingredient you don't actually use all that often that's smart oh every smart now and maria then. very smart oh, smart maria very smart selena I version you of, i can't help it y'all every selena time. does selena does a version of what a is boy, that a boy like that a boy like that on i think it's on the selena soundtrack but of course it's probably on another album of hers but it's so great when she does that Mm-hmm. She does a little run with it. Anyway, number four, you can still read the label. Buying in bulk doesn't mean you don't have access to the label information anymore. Sometimes there's even simple preparation instructions right on the bulk foods, uh, the the bins right on the front of it. There's a label on the bins. Uh, this is what phones are for you. I'll take a photo of the label so you can refer to it later. The label on the front of the bin will also tell you uh, if what you're buying is organic, where it was grown or produced, and sometimes who made it. Mm. And the last tip, number five, is learn how to store your food. Research, research, research. Google is so handy, my loves. When you get home, Google the best way to store your bulk items to get the best shelf life out of them. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a five-parter. You've got five, five Dustin's dish. I got one. a little bonus tip. To, well, going out with a bang since we're going on hiatus here. A little bonus tip is to take a pen into the grocery store. <laughs> you usually have to write the PL, oh, PLU right. number on the uh-huh, little uh-huh. twisty tie from the bulk. And nothing is more frustrating than when a customer has run off with that pen. So there you have it. We've all been there. We've all been there. Tips to get your bulk food purchases on. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you. Five tips for the price of one. Mm -hmm. That's right. So now we are going to go on a break. But of course, we would still be grateful for you to like, review, and subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to our podcast. So don't be strangers even over the hiatus. That's right. right. And if you're brand new to listening to the podcast, this is episode 36. So you got a lot more to go back and oh listen my to. Gosh, baby. Yes, 36. Lucky number 36. So we'll be off for an undetermined amount of time. We knew the time would come, uh, but we can't thank you enough for your support. We really, really have enjoyed chatting with authors and bringing the content to you and can't wait to come back. You can keep up with David um, on his Instagram at drosetti, D R O S S E T T I. And of course, at davidrosetti.com. That's me. And you can keep up with Dustin on veganroadie.com and also on Instagram at thevegandroadie. Um, and don't forget to pre order, most importantly, pre order his new book, Epic Vegan Quick and Easy, right now, wherever books are sold. That's right. And of course, we'll tell you one more time if you, you can also check oh, me yeah. out at veganroadie.com. But if you pre order the book, go take your proof of purchase to veganroadie.com and submit it for a book of free recipes. Of of epic a book ebook of epic extras but listen that's it for now we love you thank you for listening yes, thank you for listening until next time keep on cooking and remember it's nice to be nice this has been a muzzy cat production <laughs>